Thanks, Daniel. Well, my name is Ron Cole, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a, a joy for me to welcome all of you here this morning as well, especially any of you who are indeed visiting with us. We're glad that you're here with us, and uh, we hope and pray you experience God's presence. During this Advent season, we're taking a look at a little bit of a different story. We're taking a look at John's Christmas story. Uh, it's not a story that has angels and shepherds and mangers and, and wise men and stars in the sky. It's a story that John tells that's, that's cosmic. It's in one, John, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. <clears throat> it's a story that John tells. It's, it's huge. It's big. It starts with the Word, all right, with the Word who was uncreated, the Word who was eternal, the Word who was always there. And John is going to tell us what happens on Christmas Day is the Word becomes flesh. God himself becomes flesh. And, and John's primary purpose in this is, is to focus on Jesus. Okay? As, as John does this, as John pr- goes through his, his introduction here, his prologue here, his, his primary purpose is to teach us about who Jesus is. And, and we already started last week to look at some of those titles of who Jesus is, that, that he is the word, all right, the creator, the guide, the, the unifying principle of everything. We talked about that last week, the logos, the, the logic, the reason for everything to exist, the purpose for everything. He is the word of God. He is the Logos. He is the Word. He is all of that. And that's the one who has become flesh. He is God. Jesus Christ is God. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is the life, all right? He is the giver of life. He is the light. He, he shines in the darkness. John just keeps going on and on. He is the, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. He is indeed the one and only Son of God in the bosom of the Father. We talked about that love relationship of the Father and the Son and, and, and how that's the principle of, of the universe, all right? So John's primary focus in these words is, is on Jesus, and that's what he wants us to see because that's who can save us. Jesus is the one who is the life. <clears throat> Jesus is the one who gives us light. Jesus is the one who, who can give us new life. <clears throat> but there's something interesting that happens. I don't know if you noticed it last week when I read through all the verses or if you've ever noticed it reading it on your own. But, but as you go through this thing, it's like John is singing a song. In fact, some people suggest that's what John is doing. This is a hymn that he was singing or that he was quoting or whatever. But he seems to interrupt himself a couple of times. He, he's going along and everything seems to be going fine. And all of a sudden, he seems to kind of interrupt himself. And, and, and he talks about John the Baptist. Twice he does this. Let me show you this. And, and then we'll kind of ask the question of what's he doing? Why does he do this? First of all, if we look at, and it's actually 4 uh, to 9 here, starting at verse 4, it says this, In him, in the word, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if we would go right to verse 9, look at what it would be. It would, it would fit in really well. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, right? And, and so John's got this thing going on of light, but, but what he ends up doing is he actually ends up dropping that part down, all right? And, and then he, oh yeah, you got the, the, the lights there connected. He drops that part down, and, and then he puts this in there, all right? He, he writes these words. Oops, excuse me here. Let me go back to that again. Sorry. I'm going to have to go through all this. All right, there we are, right? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, we do have that light theme going on, right? We have, we have that same thing going on there. But uh, again, it's, it's strange. It's like, it's like it, it, he was going to go from one thing, and he breaks that up, and he puts these word in, in, words in there about John the Baptist. The next one is even more obvious, John 1, 14 to 16. In John 1, 14, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Again, if we went right to 16, if, if, if that was the next verse, it would say this. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And so he comes full of grace, and then out of his fullness, we have received grace, right? And, 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 and so this just seems to, to flow. But what John does is, again, he, he drops this down and he puts something else in there. John talks about John the Baptist here in verse 15. And here the New International Version just puts it in parentheses, all right? John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me, all right? So John does this. And, and in fact, in the, the 19 to 20, we'll look at that as well. Right after this, he does something there too as well. But, but okay, so John kind of is going along. He's quoting this song or he's writing this song or this poem or whatever it is. And then twice he breaks in and tells us about John the Baptist. And the question I want to think about with you is why? What, what in the world is, is John doing here? Why does John do this? Why does John the disciple tell us about John the Baptist? What, what, what's he talking about? Well, again, let me just remind you, his main focus throughout this whole thing is on Jesus. He wants us to know who Jesus is. But I think what he does in these two places, in 19 and 20 as well, what he does in these two places is he wants us to know who we are. And, and specifically as followers of Jesus Christ, as people who believe that Jesus is the light. What John wants to do here is he wants to teach us something really, 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 really important about who we are. Because there is a danger that we all face. And, and, and this morning, I, this is so important for us. This is something that has been important and essential for me in my life. And I'll, I'll tell you about that later. But, but, but the question I want to think about with you as we look at John's Christmas story is, who are we in this story? Okay? Who are we? In this story. And, and I think the reason that John tells us about John the Baptist, I think the reason that he breaks into his song, the reason that he interrupts himself a couple of times and, and puts in those parenthetical comments is, is that you and I have a problem, all right? You and I have a problem. And it's going to be one that you're going to first of all say, no, I don't have that problem. But I think at the end of the day, you'll recognize that you and I all have this same problem. What is the problem? It, it's this we think we can do more than we really can. We think too highly of ourselves. Some of you say, no, I don't, Ron. I think too lowly of myself. I got too low of self-esteem. Now, in, in, in one sense, yeah, but in another sense, and in, in, in just stick with me on this, what many of us tend to do is we overestimate what we can do. We overestimate what, what, what we can do in our lives, how we can handle things in our lives, how, how much we can accomplish with our lives. We, we think too much of ourselves. We think we can do more than we really can do. In fact, I want to suggest that for many of us, and it's not to the place where we need to be hospitalized in a mental hospital or anything. But for many of us, deep down, there's a part of us that thinks we're Jesus. There's a part of us that, that thinks we are Jesus. There's a part of us that thinks that we are the Messiah, okay? We are the light. We are the life. Now, again, some of you are saying, Ron, that's just not true. I do not think of myself that way, all right? I want to give you a quiz here, okay? I want us to think about it. You don't think you, are, you think you are the Messiah, all right? I got six questions here. A yes on any of them, and you're guilty, okay? Here's six questions, and um, let's just see how you do on this. First question is this. Have you ever tried to fix somebody? Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was a parent. Have you ever tried to fix somebody? Maybe an alcoholic. Maybe somebody with a gambling addiction. Maybe somebody uh, who, who's, who's struggling with depression. But have you ever kind of come along and said, you know what? I can make this person better. I, if, if I love them enough, I can, I can fix them. I, I know what their problem is. I can explain it. I can fix this person. Or I can fix this whole division at work. 
I, I know what this guy's problem is, and if I just explain it to him correctly, I can fix this person. If you've ever tried to fix somebody, you think you're the Messiah. Second question, have you ever felt responsible to make someone else happy? Have you ever felt, that's my job, it's, it's my job. If I was a good enough kid, then my dad would be happy. He wouldn't be so angry all the time. Then my mom would be happy, and, and she wouldn't be angry all the time. It, it's my job to make somebody happy. It's my job to bring them joy. Ask yourself about Thanksgiving Day that we just came through. Were you the one who was kind of looking around the table to say, oh, is somebody unhappy? Oh, no, are they, are they angry? Are they upset? Well, what do I need to do? What do I need to, how, how can I help that person out? How, how can I make that person happy? If, if I just do this, then, then that person will be happy. Are you ever guilty of thinking that it's your job to make somebody happy? If, you, if you've ever done that, you think you're the Messiah. Third question. Have you ever felt like you really could be in two places at one time? Now, logically, you all know that's not possible, but as super mom, as super mom, haven't you ever had it where you said, I will be at all my kids' stuff? And even though I have three kids and they have three games at the exact same time in three places, 30 minutes apart, I will somehow find a way to be there. I will somehow drive there. I will somehow teleport. I will somehow have somebody Skype with me so that when I see when my kid is up to bat, but I will be there. I will somehow find a way because I am super mom. I am super dad. I will work until the store closes and I'll teach my my son to throw the ball. I will find a way to do it all. I can be in two places at one time if you think that. You think you're the Messiah. He, a little more tied into the season here. Have you ever thought you could create a cr- perfect Christmas moment? Now, I'm not talking about a perfect Christmas day. I'm not talking about a perfect Christmas afternoon or a perfect Christmas hour or even a f- perfect Christmas half hour. I'm talking about just five minutes. Just for five minutes that you could have the whole family gathered together and the house is decorated perfectly, right? And, 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 and everything is just where it's supposed to be. It's, it's classy but not showy. It's enough but not too much. The presents are all perfectly picked out. Everybody gets something exactly what they want. You know you've got the right gifts. And it's wrapped in paper that matches the stuff on the tree and in the drapes and on the table. Martha Stewart is just jealous of you. And the food is perfect, and it's all... And just for five minutes, all the kids love each other, and everybody gets along. Have you said, you know what, I can do that, and if it doesn't happen, it's my fault. If it doesn't work right, it's my fault. Have you ever thought that you could create even five minutes of pure joy in your family? If you have your nuts, you think you're Jesus couple more. Have you ever felt responsible for the actions of someone else, excluding your own kids under 18, okay? Uh, Now, I'm not saying you're totally responsible for your kids up to 18, but we do have some responsibility, right? We have some level of responsibility, but some of us, some of us with our kids or with our parents or with others around us, we take responsibility for them that goes far beyond that, right? It's my fault that my kid, even though he's 25 years old, it's my fault that he drank too much at that wedding, It's my fault that he embarrassed himself. It's my fault that he can't keep a job. It's my fault that that my dad drinks so much. If I were a better kid, I could do more with it. It's my fault that that person left the church. It's my fault that that person committed suicide. 
Because I'm responsible. If you, if, you, if you feel like you are responsible for the actions of somebody else over the age of 18, and you got yourself wrong, you're thinking too much of yourself, friends. It, and then the last one, which might catch some of you who can say no to all the first ones. Have you ever thought that it's not your job to take care of anyone else, but you can take care of yourself? Some of you have gone through all these and said, no, I'm smart enough. I don't know. I, can't, I know I can't make somebody else happy. I know I can't do any of that stuff. I just worry about myself, and I can take care of myself. Friends, if you think you can take care of yourself, you're wrong. If, if you think you can keep yourself happy or, or controlled or whatever, if you think you can take care of yourself, then you think you're the Messiah. This is what I'm talking about. Our problem, deep down, again, there's a part of us that wants to say, I can do it all. I can make people happy. I can fix the broken people in my lives. And, and part of the pressure for that comes from inside of us, right? We want people we love to do well. We hate to see them suffer. We hate to see them struggle. And, and so we have this desire to kind of say, I, I want to make your life better. I want to fix you. I want to help you. I want to do whatever I can. And I want to make you better. And so we have that internal pressure to feel that. But we also have an external pressure. It gets worse because the people around us expect us to be the Messiah. Some of you really do think I can save your marriages. Some of you really do think that Eric can save your high school kids or Kirk your middle school kids or Don your littler kids. Sometimes you may have gotten parent calls from those aging parents who, who let you know that, that, that something's wrong and, and, and can't you do something about it? They're not treating them very well at the home and, and, and can't you do something about it? Save me, help me, do something for me. And there are plenty of people who want to tell us that we should be doing more. There are plenty of people who tell us that it's our job to make them happy. There are plenty of people who tell us that, that we are the reason that they are messing up. And so we've got this internal pressure and we've got this external pressure. And at this time of the year, it can just get overwhelming. But, but I think deep down, and in, in, in for me, this is the case, and I think maybe for some of you, but this is the reason that, that some of us are just stressed out and burned out. Because we got it wrong about who we are. We got it wrong about what we can do. But we feel this huge amount of pressure to make other people happy, to, to, to fix other people's problems, to think that we can take care of absolutely everybody, that we're a shepherd leader, so we should be able to just solve somebody else's problem. And we have this amazing sense as parents, as kids, as spouses to say, it's my job. And I can do it all. Friends, I want to tell you some of the most important words you will ever hear me say. These are words that have saved my life. And I mean that almost literally. This is the good news this morning, friends. And please hear this and tuck this away. Friends, you are not the Messiah. You are not the Messiah. You are not the true light. You are not Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. That means you're not responsible for everybody else. That means you're not responsible to try to fix everybody else. That means you're not responsible to try to save everybody else's life. The fact is you can't. You are not the light of the world. You are not the Messiah. You are not the one who can change somebody's marriage. You're not the one who can fix your own kids. You're not the one who can solve anybody else's problems, okay? That's just not who we are. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one who came to give life to everybody. And we need to keep that straight. Because he can. He's doing a fine job of it. But I can't. And if I forget that, 
And I start to believe that I am the Messiah, that what you need is more of me. What you need are my ideas. What you need is my truth. What you need is me to fix you. If I start to do that, if you start to do that, you will be destroyed. You will be burned out. Let me show you how that comes out of the text. And this is, again, why I think, why I think we get these interruptions about John the Baptist. Some people thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. He was a big name, okay? In Israel, he was the hottest preacher they had, all right? People were going out into the desert to hear him. They were repenting. Their lives were changing. They were, they were you know, it was so, it was so amazing. It was so amazing. That, 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 and, and, and people were saying, you know, John, if you go see John, your life will change. If you go see John, your life will be new. If you go see John, you, you can start all over. You'll, be, you'll just experience something unlike anything you've ever experienced. Now let's listen again to these passages we read earlier. John 1, 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. And then underline the next words. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He himself was not the light. John was not the light. Jesus is the light. John is not the light. Ron is not the light. Ken is not the light. Terry is not the light. Jesus is the light. And what John does, John the disciple does, is he says, you got to know that, friends, because you're going to run into pressure to feel like you're the Messiah. You're going to run into pressure that you're the mom who's going to save the world. You're the dad who's going to save the world. You're the kid who's going to save your parents. The next one, verse 16. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me, what, has surpassed me. Right. John says, I'm nothing compared to him. He's the one you want. He's the one you want. And, and, and then John 1, 19 and 20, all right. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not f- fail to confess, but confessed freely these wonderful words, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I said earlier, these words mean a lot to me. A number of years ago, um, I heard a sermon by Gordon Hugenberger on this passage. And he was talking to pastors. And he said, friends, you've got to understand something. You are not the Messiah. And in some ways, that saved my life. That saved my life. I love all of you, and I wish I could fix all your problems. And I will cry with you, and I will walk with you. But I sleep at night because every night before I go to bed, I say, I am not the Messiah. I, I, I can only do what I can do. I can only do what I can do. I cannot fix all the problems. And knowing that has, has given me so much help. Sometimes people will ask me, you know, when we talk about stress, you know that of all the ministers who are, who are in pulpits today, 50% of them will be out of the ministry in five years. Half. I think it's because we think we're the Messiah. We think we can do everything. We think we can do more than we can do. People sometimes ask me, say, well, how do you last? How do you last in the ministry for 25 years? This is how. I know I'm not the Messiah. I, I, I know what I can and can't do, at least to the best of my abilities. And sometimes it breaks my heart. But friends, it allows me to sleep at night. This is one of my favorite stories. A lot of you have heard it before, but Pope John XXIII you talk about a guy who felt like or could feel pressure to be the Messiah. He was, he was the Pope, all right? And, and he had cardinals who were telling him, you've got to do something about world hunger. You've got to do something about abortion. You're the Pope. We've got a billion Catholics. Come on. We've got to be able to do something. Do something, do something, do something. And, and John the 23rd said to, said to this cardinal, he said, 
you know, I used to struggle with that. I used to struggle with thinking I had to, to take care of everything. He said, and then, and then God gave me a gift, and the cardinal said, what's the gift? And, and Pope John said, I, every night when I go to bed, in the papal bed, I don't know what the papal bed is like, but every night when I go to bed, right before I fall asleep, an angel comes in. An angel comes in and looks at me and says, Johnny boy, don't take yourself so seriously. He's got the whole world in his hands. Johnny boy, don't take yourself so seriously. You're not the Messiah, okay? He's got the whole world in his hands. You don't. And, 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 and so sometimes, again, I say to him, Ronnie boy, it's not your church. It, it's not you. It's not, hey, friends, if you, if you think I'm the key to this thing, then we got big problems. Because I'm not the Messiah. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Some of you need to, when you go to bed at night, be that angel for your spouse. And you need to say to your spouse, don't take yourself so seriously. He's got the whole world in his hands. You don't. And you'll find out you can start to sleep. I know there's still plenty to worry about. There's still plenty we struggle with. But it's saying, you know what, there's not... All right, so that's, that's the first major thing. That's the main major thing. We are not the Messiah, right? That's, that's the gospel this morning. That is the good news. And as you go through this next few weeks of the Christmas season, of the Advent season, before you go to a party, say to yourself, I'm not the Messiah. I can't make everybody happy. Okay, so we're not the Messiah. Who are we? What, what does that leave us with? If the first one we think too highly of ourselves, some of us then say, well, then I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. We're not the Messiah. Who we are is we are witnesses to the Messiah, okay? We are witnesses to the Messiah. That's what John says about John the Baptist. Again, back to John 1, 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came what? As a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That's what John's job was. It was to point to the light. That's what my job is. It's to point to the light. It's to bring the presence of the light with me wherever I go. But I am not the light. I can tell you about him. I can tell you about him, and I can't make you believe in him. But I can tell you about him and what he's done in my life. I can tell you about the peace that I experienced because of him. But I am not the light. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right? Again, what is John's job? He's not the Christ. But he's a pointer. The next day, John's John's got one sermon. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. It's not a bad sermon. It's not a bad sermon. If you got one, this is a good one to have. Look, the Lamb of God. Look, it's Jesus. And then in John chapter 3, John says, you yourself can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. You get the idea. Obviously, right? Somebody was thinking he was. (laughs) Somebody was thinking John was. So he has to say again, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I am what? I am sent ahead of him. And then he gives us a beautiful image that I think could be really helpful for us. He said the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now in this case, the groom, the bridegroom is Jesus, all right? The bride is his church, his disciples. And so we're part of it there, but we also have another role, okay, We also have another role, all right, and it is this. The friend who attends the bridegroom, the best man. That's who John the Baptist was. That's who you and I get to be, the best man of Jesus. 
And, and, and in a Jewish wedding, what would happen is the bride would be in her home, the groom would be in his home, and as best as I can tell, the groom would, or the best man, would kind of be standing outside the door of the, of the bride's home. And the groom would leave his home, and he would come. And that, groom's, that best man would be listening for the voice. And when the groom gets closer, he's going to shout it out that the groom is coming. Get ready, bride, because the groom is coming. And, 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 and so this is what John says. He says, the friend who attends the bridegroom, that's him, John the Baptist, that's us. That person waits. And that person listens for him. And when he does, he's full of joy, all right? And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. Do you get the picture? John says, I'm not the groom, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the light, but I'm the best man. And and, and I was thinking about that. I I thought, you know, hundreds of times I've stood in a church like this or this one, and and, and I've stood right there, and the groom has stood right there. In our culture, the bride comes down, right? And I just want you to imagine that you're the best man for a minute, all right? Even if you're a woman, imagine you're the best man, because you're a better man than any man that could be the best man, because you're a woman, but... You're standing there, and the, the bride starts to walk down. Everybody stands up, all right? Now, the groom is there, and you look at him, and you look at the bride, and you start to go, you're a jerk, right? No best man ever does that, right? No best man ever says, look at me, notice me, pay attention to me. No, your job as a best man is to say, there he is. Look at him, love him. Serve him, give yourself to him. He's going to serve you, love you, give, yourself to, give himself to you. But the best man's job is to make sure that the bride gets to the groom. And any best man who says, notice me, as the bride is coming down the aisle, is a fool. And sometimes that's who we are. Our job is to not be the groom. We are not the Messiah, we are not the light. We are the ones who bear witness to it. John says, he must become greater. I must become less. So we are not the Messiah. We are witnesses to the Messiah. We point others to him, okay? We point others to Jesus. We tell others about him. We bring his presence with us, all right? Again, we bring the presence of Jesus with us. And so in one sense, we do bring that light because Jesus lives in us. But it's not us who's the light. We're just bringing that. And, and we remember over and over again that we are not the one who holds the world. He's got the whole world in his hands, and we don't. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, the, the, the difference that I think for me is helpful to think about is the difference between a lamp and a light. And I don't have a lamp from 2,000 years ago, but I do have a lantern here. And, and I think this, to me, is a really helpful way to think about this. So I'm going to try to light this thing once. There is a 1 in 200 chance that I will burn up. Those of you who are thinking, well, if you burn down the church, Ron, we could build a new one. I thought that as, I thought that as well. It's not the worst thing that would happen. Okay, let's see if I can... I can't burn down the church. I can't... There we go. All right. No, we'll put that down. This works the same way a lamp in Jesus' day did. What there is in there is there is a wick. In the bottom here, there's oil. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal, and here's how we need to think about ourselves. 
we are like the wick. And if this lantern is going to be any good, the wick will never burn. Right? The wick doesn't burn. If the wick starts to burn, it burns out. What happens is the wick just carries the oil. Jesus, wow, the Holy Spirit is oil. The wick carries the oil, and that's what's on fire. Friends, we're wicks. We're lanterns. We're not lights. We're lanterns. We're wicks. We're, we're the ones. And, and if we get that wrong, if we start to think that we can be a, a light, friends, that's when we burn out. That's when we get destroyed because we're burning up our own stuff. But if we continually remember that our calling, that our job is to be a wick, it's to be a lantern, that we have the unbelievable joy of carrying the presence of Christ with us. We don't have to fix anybody. We don't have to make them. We just have to bring the presence of Christ where we go, his grace and his truth and his love. And that's plenty important. That's plenty worth giving your life to. And it can make all the difference in your family. And, and, and so remember that, okay? Think of this picture, again, in, in the weeks coming ahead and, and for the rest of your life, if you're like me. Remember and, and, and just say over and over and over again, I, excuse me, <coughs> I am not the Messiah. When you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and, and your mind is racing about what to do with a problem at work or with the kids, just say, you know what, I'm not the Messiah. Pray about it, put it in God's hands and say, God, help me to be a light, a carrier of the light, rather. It's so hard, right, to get it right? Help me to bring your light into that situation, but God, I can't solve it. When you are going to that party where you know there's going to be some conflict, before you get out of the car, say, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. When somebody you love drinks too much and you feel guilty, say to yourself, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah, but I do know him. And I can point you to him. And friends, there's nothing better in the world than being a lantern in whom the light of the world shines. Let's pray together. Father, we don't claim to be Jesus. We don't claim to be the Messiah because they'd lock us up if we did. But there's a part of us that thinks we can fix everybody, a part of us that thinks we can take care of all the problems in our families and in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods. Father, remind us who we aren't, that we are not the Messiah. Give us your amazing grace and truth to know that, the joy of knowing we don't have to do those things. And then also, Lord, give us the joy of recognizing we are witnesses, that we can carry the light, that we can tell others about the light, that we can live out of the light and bring grace and truth wherever we go. So, Father, please, we pray again, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, in little ways and in big ways, and one day come completely. But you are the Messiah. You are the one who can make all things new in our families and in our lives. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room to, the, uh, to my right, your left there, if you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody. People of God, as you go from this place, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.